All right, so um, do you like it when God messes with you? <laughs> if you say always, um, we probably ought to talk. Because <laughs> there are times when, yeah, you, you want to embrace it because you know it's, it's good. And then there are other times you, it's just kind of confusing, which causes you to have to lean into him a little bit more. And, and that's kind of what this, this message has been about. This, this study in Philippians chapter 3 in total has been that way because it's, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I recall it and I've memorized parts of it. Um, but this time as we're going through it, it's like another um, one of those filters is being pulled back and I'm seeing a depth of truth that's always been there. But God is showing in different ways. And that's kind of what has happened over the la this last week. Is I told you last week I spent more time than normal doing scripture study, digging into it. And it happened again this week. Um, I thought, <laughs> and quite frankly, I, I thought this would be an easy study week because I'm so familiar with it. And it turned out to be exactly the opposite. Um, and so there's another profound statement that God has um, out of this that is kind of like the essence of being a Christ follower is following Christ. It's not new. It's not unfamiliar. But there's something deep, soul deep that has grabbed me. To illustrate. One of the first uh, memories that I have in my life, I was maybe three or four, is of being prone on the ground um, with a rifle in front of me. At, at the, uh, my dad was a policeman at the police uh, practice firing grounds. I remember being prone on the ground with a rifle in front of me and with my dad wrapped around me, with his hand on my left hand, showing me where I should be putting, you know, and three or four, I couldn't even reach as far as I should on the stock. With his other hand guiding my right hand to the trigger, with, and, and then getting, me, getting my head so that I could see through the sight and, and looking at the target. And, and I just remember him being a, laying around me, teaching me how to shoot. Another memory that I have is um, I was maybe five or six years old and, and my dad um, took me with his brother, my uncle Jim, hunting. I wasn't even old enough to have a gun, but I was in a cornfield and my dad was on one side, my uncle was on the other. And I remember um, walking through this cornfield and a rabbit shows up in my row. And I remember hollering at my dad and my uncle saying, there's one over here, one over here, one over here. And they didn't come running. And, and I thought, even as a five-year-old, I'm thinking, I wish I had a gun and I could shoot it. When I was eight years old, we moved out into the country. We had six and a half acres. Um, and um, at nine years old, my dad gave me my first gun. It was a little Ruger Bearcat 22 caliber pistol. I have to this day. Nine years old. 
Can you imagine? <laughs> For some of you city slickers, you're going, you're going, I can't believe there's guns in your house. For one thing, and I can't believe that as a nine-year-old, you had your own firearm. And if you knew me as a nine-year-old, you would think that even more. <laughs> but that was one of the, the fir- one of the first gifts I remember my dad ever given me. At 10 years old, he's getting me up at, uh, at 10 years old, he uh, get, allows me to use a 410 shotgun, single, um, single shot. Shotgun. 410 is not a big gun. Small gun. He said, if you can learn to shoot with that, you can learn to shoot with a bigger gun. And so at five o'clock in the morning, he's getting me up when I'm nine or 10 years old before school to go squirrel hunting. And he teaches me how to shoot. He teaches me how to look for squirrels. He teaches me how to carry a gun. He teaches me how to load a gun. He teaches me how to clean a gun after you're done using it. He teaches me how to lock the guns up so that no, my younger siblings couldn't get hold of them. At, um, when we moved out in the country, my dad uh, set up a shooting range. And he had basically had an arsenal. All kinds of guns. He had, he had black powder guns. He had regular guns, he had his police service gun. He had, and he set up a shooting range with all kinds of different targets and he, sh- he taught me how to shoot. He also had this hand um, throwing uh, for skeet, clay pigeons. And I, and I was usually one throwing and not the one shooting, but he did teach me how to shoot moving targets so that I could shoot pheasant and coral. And cor- coral. <laughs> Which is, a, which is a combination between squirrel and quail. Um, and they, they're, they're, they run pretty slow, but the squirrels, you know. Yeah. You can't say that. I can't. No, I, yeah. For my 16, when I was 16 years old for Christmas, he gave me a 12-gauge shotgun. Remington 870, or the first year they came out. It was actually his gun. When he, before he, right after he got married, he, he sold it, found the owner, uh, refinished the stock, reblued the barrel, and he gave it to me on my 16th birthday. Not, or not 16th birthday, 16th Christmas. And we went out hunting that day, and I shot a couple rabbits with it. When I graduated from college, he gave me um, a rifle with my initials embedded in the stock that he had done. He had spent hours and hours and hours refinishing the stock and, and he gave it to me because I was the first one in our family to ever graduate from college. I was, so you get the idea, I, I never grew up at a time when I, I wasn't around firearms. And I was constantly pestered by my dad to learn how to shoot. And I became a good marksman. I became good. I wasn't even that interested in it, but I got good. Not because my dad gave me a book, but because he modeled and he showed me by example and he instructed me sometimes putting my hands where my, the hands needed to go. Sitting down beside me so that he could, he could show me how the sight would work. I got, pretty, I, I got pretty good. I remember my younger sister's first husband came around and we were out shooting uh, clay pigeons and 
he thought he would show off. And so he said, well, let me try it. And he tried, you know, four or five. He couldn't hit a thing. And I was home. For, I, I think we were in the ministry by then. And I, I was home and I, he said, give me, I said, give me that. I hadn't shot a gun for years. I, shot, I hadn't shot skeet for years. And pull. I, every one of them. My brother-in-law looked at me like I was a superhero. <laughs> that, was my, that was my point. That was what I was trying to do. <laughs> Her second husband came along one time when we were out at the shooting range. And he said, here, let me try that pistol. And he, he shot it a couple. He couldn't hit a thing. I said, give me that. I shot it, hit a target every single time. And I looked at him. And he thought I was a superhero. When our oldest son, Andrew, was about seven years old, we were up at Conneaut. And we were walking by one of those little arcades that had the, I don't know if they're pellet guns or BB guns. And, and Dad, Dad, can I do that? So, oh, sure. So I laid down the money. He shot about three times, and he didn't hit a thing, and he got frustrated. And he put the gun down. I said, well, I'm not going to waste my money. <laughs> so I picked it up, and, and I hit a target with the next seven shots. And my son looked at me like I was a superhero. And that was the point. Here's my point in saying all of this is I didn't really care about firearms. I want, really wanted to be on the basketball court. Well, my dad had me traipsing around, kicking at bushes, trying to find rabbits so that he could shoot them. I wanted to be on the basketball court. And yet, because he was showing me how he was not only instructing me, but he was modeling. He was being an example. He was showing me how I was able to do it and be good at it. This week, as I'm studying Philippians chapter three, I realized that modeling and examples are actually God's way of teaching us how to be Christ-like. I've always known it was there, that we're supposed to be good models, that we're supposed to, you know, follow good examples. But um, I always thought, but, but our, you know, we need to follow Christ. And that's true. We need to follow Christ. Christ is the perfect example. But God's design, what I realized this, this week, was on purpose to cause people who are Christ-like, to be our models and to show us how to live like Christ. Mm -hmm. It's not just there if you want it. It's instructed. Mm -hmm. And so this is the profound. God's design is that we find models of Christ-like people who can put our hands where they need to be, who can, who can cause us to have our head where we can see the sight rather than just trying to read it. Because my dad never handed me a book and said, here's how you shoot a gun. Mm -hmm. He said, let me show you. How. Now, he would give me instructions. He would get, you know, if I would have to take a test, he would give me information. But the, the practical application is that we don't, we don't become Christ-like because we just read the Bible. We become Christ-like because we obey the Bible as it's modeled by Christ-like people. Amen. And we're supposed to be Christ-like people that other people can see with flesh on. So I heard a story years ago about a little boy who kept getting, um, kept getting scared at night. 
Every night he'd be scared and he didn't want to go to bed and he would cry and he would whine and, and he would call for his dad. And so his dad would go in and he'd say, it's okay. And he would pray with him and assure him that God was with him. And until finally one night, the little boy just looked at him and said, dad, I know Jesus is, but I need somebody with flesh on. And there are times when we need somebody with flesh on who is growing like Christ, modeling for us how to live like Christ. And I found, I, it, it was, again, one of these profound moments of grasping the depth of this. That this is not plan B, this is plan A for God. Amen. And that's what we're going to look at. You're going to have to find places to write because a lot of what I'm going to say is not in your outline today. But turn in your Bibles to chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, and we're going to start there. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, and we've, we've already looked at these. This is just kind of ramping up into the, the passage that we want to apply. Philippians 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Have confidence in the Lord. Jesus went. Does anybody need a Bible, by the way? We got extra Bibles back there. Anybody need one? All right, we're good. Rejoice in the Lord. Be confident in the Lord. Jesus wins. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Pay attention to the dogs, the people. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, the Judaizers, those who are coming along, teaching them that they were supposed to become Jewish before they became Christian. And we're going to talk about some of the ways they did that another week. For we are the circumcision. In other words, we are the chosen people. Circumcision represented the, the chosen people of God. So we are the circumcision. We have, because our hearts have been circumcised by the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Instead of worshiping in the temple, making the sacrifices, following all of the religious rituals of the Old Testament of the Jewish faith, instead of all of that, now we worship this, with the Spirit of God in us, and the glory and, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are not um, striving to be right with God by the rituals that we do, by the regulations that we keep, but rather by the relationship that we have as the Holy Spirit now lives within us and we're the temple of God. Yes. And so that's the setup for some instructions. He, he's contrasting, these are the false voices. These are the false teachers. They're trying to get you to follow ways that are not of God. And they are among you. They're modeling it. They're giving you examples of how you're supposed to follow these regulations. He says, but they are not following Christ. So he's saying it up and saying, and saying that, no, they're not the ones to follow. Follow those of us that are Christ-like. And so there's some choices that we need to make. And really, we're just going to talk about the first one here. And that is who we model our lives after. If we're going to be followers of Christ then we have to make a deliberate, intentional choice of who we're going to model our lives after. Christ first and foremost. Absolutely. So in the pages of Scripture, we have his teaching, we have the stories about him, about who he is. 
Absolutely. That's where we start. But I never saw it before. How many scriptures tell us that we're supposed to choose people who are Christ-like to model our lives after? And we're to be Christ-like so that others can see Christ and model their lives after us. So let's take a look at it. Who we model our lives after. We're created. God created it this way. That we are to learn what we learn by the people that model it for us. Amen. That's his creation. It's not, it didn't happen as, you, you know, it, it's not just a side thing. It's not, it didn't happen because the devil tried to do it. But rather, that's how he has designed it. Think about the, um, the things that you do really well. I mean, every, everybody has some things that they do really well. I want you to think about a couple of those things. How did you learn? Your mother? Who else? Well, who else? Practice. By practice? Who did you learn how to practice? Who, who did you learn from how to practice? What's that? Yep, Jesus will teach us, the Holy Spirit will teach us, but generally it's because somebody else was showing us how to do it. I hate IKEA furniture. <laughs> Anybody else with me? Because yes. I, I, it's just so hard to get my mind wrapped around what, where, where are they from? Sweden or, or yeah, I don't know how Swedes think. I don't, you know, and to follow those instructions. But if a carpenter comes along and has the instructions and he goes, oh, here's what this means. Oh, thank you. Just tell me where to put the nail, the screw. I don't care. Just show me how to do it. I, and so many things in life are like that. That's why some of us, depending on our learning style, we don't like to read instructions because we just can't get it. But if somebody will be there showing us what those instructions mean, what it looks like to follow those instructions, you go, oh, okay, now that makes sense. Most of what we learn in life is because somebody's modeled it. There's a lot that we learn through book learning, but the skills, the things that we get really good at is often um, because somebody models it for us. That's, what it, I, that's how I learned how to play basketball. I, you know, I was just throwing up the ball when I was a little kid. And then I had some friends who learned how to shoot, learned how to follow through. When my oldest son was uh, playing baseball, he wanted to be a pitcher. So I said, well, here's how to pitch. And I gave him a four point, four point. It's one, two, three, Four, looking at, looking at the mitt. One, two, three, four. And I could see him as a nine-year-old out there on the pitching mound counting. <laughs> One, two, three, four. And we practice. As Greg said, we practice it. We practice it. But he, he caught it because I modeled it for him, and he became a good pitcher. He became an all-star pitcher when he was a little league. He learned it not by the book, but by having it modeled. And then having it corrected. Having somebody else come along. We learn most of what we learn. So why would we think it's any different spiritually? Because the devil tries to get us not to see. 
Why have I fought the idea of telling others to follow my example? Well, one thing is because I know I'm not perfect, right? And so we don't, we, we hesitate to want to be models because we know that we mess up. That's why we always point to Christ. And in the scripture that we're going to see in a moment is follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. So if you ever see any divergence, choose Jesus. Because we're not perfect. And the models that we follow are not going to be perfect. I learned um, about fasting from a pastor friend of mine who had been introduced to it years before. I didn't learn it because the Bible said it. I, and maybe I shouldn't beat myself up because I didn't see it. Because God has designed it so that we learn things by it being modeled. We are commanded to follow Christ-like models. And here's where it really caught me. So I know that we learn best by having models, having examples, having mentors who will show us the way, who will actually do it. You know, the, the old motto of I do it and then I do it and you watch and then you do it and I watch and then you do it and have somebody else coming along, you know, so that you have, there's that model, but, but to take it another level further that we're commanded to look for people who are like Christ and learn from them was a hit in the side of the head. Philippians chapter 3, jump down to verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Here's the Apostle Paul, a human being who had made all, uh, a boatload of mistakes in his life and sins and confessed and, and called himself the, the worst of all sinners and the least of the apostles. And he blatantly saying, Join in imitating me. Do what I do. If you want to know how to follow Christ, do what I do. Imitate me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So look to me, and then, and then in the people in your local congregation, look to the people who are following Christ. Now, so it's important that we know the Word of God so that we know if a person is modeling Christ, right? Because it's about doing and obeying. It's not about talking, which is what our culture says. We sit there and we listen to people teach and talk and, you know, and they sound profound or, or they, they're very charismatic or entertaining. And, and we think, oh, man, I want to follow them. And, they have, and they're not even putting it into practice. They're not loving their families. They're not being a good neighbor. They're not, you know, stewards of their family. They're, they're not doing it. And so he says, very blatantly, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In contrast to, verse 18, many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's not that they're talking as enemies. They're living as enemies. Even Jesus said, um, uh, obey what the Pharisees teach you, but don't model your life after what they do. Do what they teach you. Do what they instruct, but don't do as they live because they weren't walking it. He says their end is destruction because they're not following Christ. They're proclaiming 
to be models, but they're not following Christ. Their God is their belly. In other words, their desires is what it was what drives them rather than Jesus. And their glory and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We are told to look for people to model and imitate. Could it be that we have some areas of blindness or immaturity because we're trying to figure it out on our own instead of looking at those who are a few steps ahead of us? So I, I got to thinking, you know, is this, is this a big deal in the New Testament? And so I went looking for scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me. This is the Apostle Paul again. Be imitators of me. Do what I do as I am of Christ. Imitate me as I am imitating Christ. Now turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 6. Flip over toward the back. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Hebrews 6, 9 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He's talking about people who are being disobedient. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. And here it is again. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It, I just find it so interesting that he's talking about, he's talking about them and, and challenging them to be obedient and um, love God with all their hearts, um, to show fervency or earnestness in pursuing their relationship with God. But then when he says, don't be sluggish, don't be slow, don't be lazy, he points out, look to people who are following Christ and imitate them. He doesn't say, go to all of the writings and look to see what Jesus did. He says, look for a people who can show you what that looks like. First Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. And you, become, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So it's not either or, it's both and. We, be, we see how Jesus... Um, lives in a person by being around people who are living for him. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you, you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia and in Achaia. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but one of the things you're going to see is imitate those who are like Christ so that you become an example for others who can imitate you to follow Christ. That's a high responsibility, isn't it? That makes, that pulls it out of an individual walk with God, me and Jesus, to I'm responsible. And this is a part of the whole shape thing and, and being the church is, this is what it's going to look like. And this is in my notes. This is just bonus, 
you won't even be charged extra. Um, there, there are, are people that you will look to to imitate them as they are following Christ in a particular area of their lives. But not in every area. Because they're still growing. And then you'll pick somebody else who you will imitate in another area. And those same people that you're imitating might even turn back to you and imitate you in an area where you are mature. See how the body of Christ works? Because we're, we're not good at, you, you don't want to come and ask me to teach you how to use power tools. <laughs> you don't. You may be missing part of, parts of your body if you do that. <laughs> but I can mentor you in other things. I can teach you how to shoot a gun. I can teach you how to fast. I can teach you how to do a lot of things. But you can teach me how to do other things. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 9 says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. You see how frequent this shows up? If you want to grow in Christ, look for people who are like Christ. And see how they follow him. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden for you. It was not because we do not have that right. And so here's Paul saying, when we came among you as leaders who deserve to uh, have bread and food and shelter given to them because they're leaders, he said, we didn't claim any of those rights. Why? Last sentence, last phrase. But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. You see what they did? They wanted to be Christ followers as examples. They weren't just looking at how they could function. They were saying, how can we best be examples for the Thessalonian church to imitate? So we're going to set aside our rights so that you can see what it looks like for people to live um, um, contributing to the whole. Hebrews chapter 13, 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Notice, one of the responsibilities is making sure the people that you follow truly are Christ-like. You want me to meddle a little bit? Before you start listening to people online, on the radio, on YouTube, on podcasts, you need to check their way of life. Because if they can speak good, but if they're not living it, don't imitate them. That's why it's so hard in our culture. If you have, uh, you know, large numbers of people where you don't even know if the leaders are living it out, to know whether you should follow them or not. That's why it's so important for us to be the community of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And John, uh, 3 John 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. How do you know the difference? Whoever does good is from God. Not whoever speaks, but whoever lives it. That's why the essence of being a Christ follower is following following Christ. It's obedience. It's not what you say. Because some of the most evil people that have ever lived have been the most entertaining, 
and charismatic and convincing. And whoever does evil has not seen God. This raises the responsibilities of being the church. Because the reality is somebody is always watching us. And oftentimes, we don't know that they're watching us. And we don't even realize that we're providing any kind of example. On the flip side, oftentimes we don't even know that we're imitating somebody else. But the people who are around, the people we admire, the people that we look up to, the people that we think are Christ-like, we will become like them. So we have to be careful and deliberate in who we choose. So this is where, um, on my knees this morning, God started messing with me. And so here's what, here's what I sense this morning. Some application, making this very, very practical. This is not in your notes. Just find some place to write it down. Here's some applications. Number one, the first application is deliberately choose Christ-like models. Deliberately choose the people that you want to be like. This is not an option. Because if you don't deliberately choose them, you will choose them by default. We're made to follow. We're made to imitate. We're made to look for models and examples. And we're going to follow those models and examples whether we realize it or not. So deliberately choose them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, it says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. He's talking about um, the Israelites in the Old Testament who uh, were whining and complaining. It's a good example for our day because they're whining and complaining about what God was in and what he ought to be doing and telling. He says, uh, with most, God, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us. Examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. So, even in the Bible, it says, the things that are recorded are so that we can learn from them. And so we see in the Old Testament, in the New Testament... There were so many interactions with Jesus and his, and his 12 disciples that are not recorded. But the ones that are recorded are recorded as examples so that we could see how it plays out in other people's lives. Um, we need points of reference in our life. Write that down. We need points of reference. And, and one of the struggles that we have is that in, unless we have a point of reference, our mind doesn't grab it and hold on to something. Unless there's a point of, unless there's a kind of a mental pocket to put it in to hold on to it, it, it will just blow right by it. We don't even see it. We need points of reference that will define, and so we have the scripture to help us define it. But then we also look to models or examples to help us do the same. Our youngest son Chad, when he was um, young, um, he. We tried to teach him how to put stuff away. <laughs> but from the time he was probably six or seven and got his own room, it was a disaster. It was just disaster. I mean, um, he, he was one of those kids where it, instead of um, putting clothes 
that came from the wash away, he would just drop them on the floor. And instead of putting clothes that he would take off, someplace, he would just drop them on the floor. So his floor became a, a strata of clothes that he just were piled everywhere. And so every once in a while, Sheila would uh, peek. The, you couldn't get the door all the way open, but she would peek in and, and she'd go, you got to clean this room. You have got, before you do anything, before you go anywhere, you've got to clean this room. You're not doing anything until you clean this room. And he'd go, oh, okay, okay. And so he would go into his room, disappear for about 10 minutes and come back out and say, I cleaned my room. <laughs> and being beyond, you know, oblivious, we as parents did the calculation in our minds. We went 10 minutes, that room, there's no way. And so Sheila would say to him, you didn't clean your room. And he would insist, yes, he cleaned his room. And so she'd say, okay, let's go in there together. And she would go in the room and there would be a path <laughs> that you could walk. Through. You could actually see the carpet about a foot wide in, in the room and everything else would be thrown in the closet or piled on the bed. And he said, see, I cleaned my room. And Sheila would say to him, you didn't clean your room. And he would say, yes, I did. I cleaned my room. She would say, no, you didn't. You didn't clean your room. He said, and there would be an argument and then he would be grounded. Because he didn't have the point of reference of what a clean room looked like that Sheila used. He genuinely thought he had cleaned the room. He was a lion. He thought he had cleaned the room. And in our culture, we have so many people. And, and um, it, as we go forward, there are a lot of people who have no point of reference for who Jesus is. And we ha often have no point of reference for what it means to sacrifice. We, we talk about laying down our lives for Christ. And we don't even realize it. We don't even know what that means because we don't have any point of reference. Um, hard work was another one we you know, wrestled with our kids about. You need to work hard. I am working hard. And I'm going, no, all you did was put the dishes in the dishwasher. Let me tell you what hard work, and, and I went into and saying things that I swore I would never say to my kids. When I was your age, I was working a garden that was an acre big. I was getting up in the morning to feed horses, I, you know, and, and they, they would just glaze over. We just don't have that many points of reference, and that's where we struggle. That's why it's so important that we have Mentors, examples, models that we can look to who are farther along, who have sacrificed their lives. That's why I keep going back to Richard Wormbrand and his wife um, as they sacrificed and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some of these people that aren't 2,000 years removed from us. We need to deliberately choose Christ-like models. Oh my goodness. Number two, we need to be, write this down, we need to be Christ-like models. We need to up our game, not just because we're supposed to be followers of Christ, but because we have people watching us. Parents, you have people, you have little ones watching you. Not just about ordinary things, 
watching to see what God is like. Because built in us is something that we, we have our point of reference for God is usually our dad. That's a high responsibility. Much of what you go through, and so here, here's where pain is transformed. Much of what you go through is not about you, but it is so others can see Christ working in you in the pain, mm-hmm. in the difficulty, in the struggle. Mm-hmm. And they will get a glimpse of who Christ is. Mm-hmm. How you respond to injustice. Jesus said in John 13, 35, and I never caught this in this context before. Here he says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How are they going to know what God's love is? By models, by examples, by people who are being Christ-like and how they treat each other. That's Jesus. So we got Paul, we got Peter, we got the writer of Hebrews, we got uh, Jesus all saying the same thing is models, examples are the way Christ is seen. So we need to make sure we choose the right ones and we need to be Christ-like so that other people can see Christ in us. And then thirdly, the environment then of our shape training is choosing and being Christ-like models. As we go into this shape training, um, I really pushed the, the planning team to say, we need to do this in the context of community. We need to do this so that we are encouraging each other and helping each other. And, and as we sit around this circle is it, it, somebody, every person in this circle is good at something that the rest of us aren't. And everybody in this circle can learn from the other people in this circle about what it looks like to be Christ-like in particular ways. And so as we discover what it means to be the church, it's that iron sharpening iron point of learning from one another, challenging each other. And, and, as, and so here's, here's an encouragement. Get involved in this shape training so you don't make all your own stupid mistakes. Right? Let somebody else make some of them and learn from them. Because we're, we don't need to be stupid. When, uh, so I'm talking about almost every one of our kids today. Our daughter Carissa um, loved water when she was, I don't know, two, three years old. We took her to the lake up at Whitehall Camp, our uh, conference center that we're affiliated with. And, um, and as I'm there, she, she starts walking in the lake, just walking along. And, and she got in, she was up to here. And so I grabbed her. I said, I don't, I, you know, I might lose the other one, but I don't want to lose this one. <laughs> so I pulled her back. And I sat her down, I put her down on her feet and she made a beeline saying, she's going until she gets about this deep and I grab her again and I pull her back. And I go, I can't do this all day. So after about four or five times, I go, okay, I'm just going to let her go. And so I just walk behind her until she gets in here and then she goes and she disappears. I wait for a couple seconds, pull her up, sputtering, spitting, you know, coughing. And I pull her back on the beach and she never went that far again. Why? Now, I tried to save her from going under the water, right? But sometimes we're too stupid to learn. We need to get better at learning from each other. You know, because there's consequences to, to most mistakes. So the environment of our shape 
Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, And what you have heard from me, here's Paul talking to Timothy, his protege, um, in the presence of many witnesses. And so I've been, I, not only did I, I teach you, but I, there were other people around learning at the same time. Now you turn around and entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The ministry of the church is not the preacher's responsibility. It's the body's responsibility. And so throughout scripture, then Peter talks about older women come alongside other women, younger women, and help them learn what it looks like. He didn't say, older women, make sure the younger women read the Bible. He said, let them see it in you. Number four, pay attention to the Bible through the lens of choosing and being Christ-like models. So as we go forward, again, this is just, I knew this, but I didn't know the depth of the instruction. And so now, as I've read the scriptures over the last few days, and after seeing this, it's everywhere. In James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's one thing for the Psalms to tell us over and over and over again, God is compassionate. God is merciful. God is faithful. God is... And then it's another thing to read the book of Job and see how it plays out. It's one thing for us to say to one another, you know, God will see you through that. God will help you through that. And then for them to turn around and watch us go through some really hard stuff and see that it's real. So pay attention, pay attention to seeing this. All right. Well, that's what I got. And I think this is important. I think this is big. And again, it's not new, but it's Holy Spirit resonating fresh. So if you would bow your heads, I want you to think for a moment about the models and examples that you imitate. Could be real people that you know, but it could be other people. Make sure that they live it those podcasters, radio personalities, people who write books, pastors that are halfway across the country. Make sure that they truly are Christ. And, and Christ-likeness is they're living it. They're not just saying it, they're living it. Secondly, is there anything in your life right now that you don't want people to imitate? Because people are watching. Mm -hmm. We're watching one another. We have family members who are watching. We have neighbors and friends and co-workers who are watching. We don't even realize they're watching. If there is, it's not just about you. It's about Christ. The reflection that we have on Christ. And if we're living in a way that is leading other people astray, that's a big sin according to the Bible. 
So if there's anything, any, any place that you need to change, any place you need to surrender and change, it's not just about you. So change it. Don't just pray about it. Change it. Do whatever it takes. Change it. Lord, I have to confess that um, following you is an adventure, but man, Lord, sometimes you rattle us. Keep rattling us. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's hard, even when it gets us out of our comfort zone. God, we want you more than anything else. I pray for each one of us that you would identify anyone that we might be imitating that is not following you. God, put the brakes on, send up the flashers somehow, identify so that we're seeing you lived out in the lives of people that we imitate. God, I pray that you would um, just um, if even if it has to be harshly, you would identify the places in our lives that we need to correct for your honor, but also for the benefit of others. And then as we go into the shape training and as we strive to be your church, God, do whatever it takes, that your spirit will be in charge, that we will be iron sharpening iron, and that lives will be transformed because we're being obedient to you. So here we are, Lord. Help us to trust and obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.